Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, it's a double cup preview. The FA Cup and, of course, the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final. We're going to look ahead to both in just one podcast. Also, we'll have the final word from the New Year's Eve victory over Arsenal at Craven Cottage. What a way to round out 2023 it was. And, of course, course we'll answer some of your emails at the end there's a little bit of change on the thursday club because no jack collins but i have got drew heatley hello hi sammy i've now filled in officially for all three members of the thursday club i'm in chris bed territory now <laughs> the ultimate kevin betsy utility man and peter rutzler hello hello sammy hello drew how are we doing good thank you happy new year to you both and to you and to you I think we're at the tail end of when it's about acceptable to say Happy New Year. I feel like by maybe the fourth or the fifth, we can uh, find a new phrase. But I think uh, this early on in the new year, it's still just about acceptable. Well, look, let's um, get your thoughts on uh, that brilliant win on New Year's Eve against Arsenal. Um, Peter, you penned your piece about how finally Fulham managed to get a, a top four scalp. It's something that we've spoken about for so, so long. And um, it was it was a fully deserved win. And, and they mentioned it on the, on the Monday podcast that this wasn't Fulham smashing and grabbing. This wasn't a, a bad referee call or anything like that. It was just ultimately two teams played football and one was slightly better on the day. And that just happened to be Fulham, not Arsenal. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly that. I think that was probably the the big takeaway, wasn't it? Just how good Fulham were from the game. The fact that they deserved to win. This wasn't like some rear guard special. It wasn't like, for instance, how West Ham beat, beat Arsenal. Not that West Ham played poorly or to undermine their performance, but it's the way they played. Um, and that's kind of been Marcus of his way, isn't it? You know, he stuck to his, his, his principles, his philosophy, and, and will adapt it to an extent, but generally stays the same way. And, and, and it means that when these wins happen, you, you get good performances. And this is definitely, I think it was definitely the best performance of the season. The more I've thought about it, I know we've had the five nils, but um, just how complete it was in all areas, how threatening the team looked, how solid defensively they were as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think the guys on Monday covered it really well because it was just a result that ticked off so many boxes. Um, there's lingering questions that we had about Fulham, you know, coming from behind to, to take points, which Fulham have struggled at for, for over a year. And, and of course, as you said, to get a win against one of the big clubs. And it kind of feels strange because there's been so many good Fulham performances against the big teams. Um, I mean, obviously Liverpool most recently, but especially last season, there was just so many. City, United, obviously United again this season. And then there was always a late sucker punch. There was always something that stopped Fulham either winning or, or taking something from the game uh, altogether. So... It was quite nice. And I think it was Jack who was saying this just for that last 10 minutes, even though Arsenal kind of threw the kitchen sink a little bit and went a bit tactically all over the shop. It didn't feel under threat. Like it felt like Fulham had control of the game. Um, and yeah, it, that rounded off what was a, a really impressive win and, and a really, a really needed win, especially, you know, obviously with the big cup games, which we'll talk about. And um, yeah, to, what, what a fantastic way to, to, to round off 2023. 
Yeah, Drew. I mean, uh, it, it was such a contrast as well to the two performances, the three performances in the league that had gone before it, but particularly Burnley and Bournemouth, which were just so, so poor. And, and I think that's just what I'm still struggling to get my head around is the fact that our Jekyll and Hyde nature is is so extreme. There doesn't seem to be many draws these days either. It's just either, you know, a, a, an amazing victory or a, or a brutal defeat. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground, which I guess is a bit more fun, but maybe not what you need for consistency. Yeah, well, I think we can all remember under Parker, we were it was uh, relegation by a thousand draws. So, you know, while it might keep morale up sort of in the moment, you know, you get three points for a, a win and you're better off winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one than, than drawing them all as you, as you go. So, you know, I guess we'd probably rather that it that way in terms of entertainment and in terms of points on the board. Um, but we were 18th in terms of the festive period, you know, that arbitrary four-game period that the Premier League decided to make a table about. Um, but you wouldn't know it, would you, after that, with the win against Arsenal, it sort of makes everything better. Um, but it is interesting how, you know, as you say, the Jekyll and Hyde performance, is it as... Is it as obvious as we miss uh, Raul Jimenez, who's been quite uh, quite useful for us recently? Is it as simple as that? I'm not, I'm not so sure, but I do think that uh, you know Marco's plan that he's had sort of steadfast since the beginning of the season that he's seeing it all coming together now. I think that did knock things out of whack a little bit, um, but yeah, I mean now we can go into the two two cup games with uh, you know really buoyed by that. You'd forget the, uh, the the previous losses, and you're only just thinking about the Arsenal one, which by the way, you know. Last time we were in the last couple of times we were in the Premier League, we we'd be getting thumped five one four one. So it and we used to say they were free hits, and and we don't say that anymore. And that's just a mark of a mark of Marco, as it were. These games matter, don't they? Because like especially with with Brentford down the road, always picking up scalps. They're always you know they're on TV, and then they'll get you know the. They get played for it. I mean, they pick up a lot of points. I mean, last season they picked up loads of points against the teams above them, and, and Fulham have sort of been the opposite. You know, last season was all, I mean, pretty much all points were picked up uh, against teams below Fulham in the table, uh, aside from Brighton, inexplicably. Um, so to to get this win, it is, it is kind of a hoodoo, but it also it just it just shines a light a bit more on Fulham. People talk about Fulham. It, obviously, there's the talk about Arsenal on the back-to-back defeats, but it's it's almost a, a reward, sort of a recognition for how well the team are doing and have been playing. You know, it feels kind of bizarre, but it felt like Fulham went under the radar to finish 10th in the Premier League last year after promotion, which is strange, but I think a key part of that was not having these marquee wins. So to get one is is huge and it, it gives it gives Fulham the recognition that, that they've deserved. And Drew, ever since listening to the Monday podcast, one of the last questions was, is this Fulham's biggest league win in a decade? And in terms of like the caliber of opposition that we've beaten. And I've been looking back a little bit through the archives and I'm, I'm honestly struggling to remember a more complete win in maybe even going back through the entirety of our premier league. You know, this is a table topping side that came to Craven cottage. They needed the points desperately. Um, mm. I, I, I honestly cannot think of too many. There were some good wins over United. There was a, 2-0 win over them I think in the season that they won the league when when Rooney and Ronaldo both got sent off but whatever it is there might be one or two in there from from the real annals of our Premier League time this is this is right up there in probably top five Premier League performances for me and the fact that it was so dominant as well um it, it really is standout 
Yeah, and you've unwittingly set me up here, Sammy, because tomorrow we'll have a piece out from uh, Carm O'Donnell, which looks at Fulham's top 10 victories over the, the traditional top six. Uh, and you're right, um, on fulhamish.co.uk, by the way, you're right, there's not been anything since the Arsenal win in 2012. Obviously, you've got the Chelsea one, but I think everybody will be happy to tell you that uh, you know they weren't top six at the time, far from it. Um, and yeah, in terms of that performance as well, you know, uh, when you're listening to the... The, the football weeklies and and other mainstream pods that sort of report on Arsenal and, and that first and we're top um, of the bill as it were they're, they're not saying uh, you know it was a fluke from Fulham everyone is sort of giving us our due and saying well you know Arsenal weren't very good but Fulham made them play not very good by finding them out you know um, so it was a real comprehensive uh, sort of performance in that way. And you've got to look back to like, you know, the the three nils at home to United back in, uh, what is it, 2009 and whatnot for, for a performance quite as, as strong as that. So uh, it's got to rank highly. Um, I won't tell you where it ranks in Colm's uh, top 10 countdown, but it's got to rank, it's got to rank fairly highly, right? Yeah, I didn't actually know that piece was coming out. So um, yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, check that out on the, on the Fulhamish website. But yeah, it, it was, it's so landmark i mean a bit worryingly landmark actually because but just uh, yes there's been other like more important wins for the playoff final and, and, and other games like that but just in terms of actually challenging a team right at the top and and eclipsing them like it's 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 up there and and yeah you could say europa league wins were more famous than than what happened on new year's eve but definitely um definitely right up there um peter i wanted to get your thoughts on raul jimenez he he was brilliant um on on new year's eve and I just can't believe how much we missed him. Like, and the, the, the change and, and his hold up play and everything else. Like, yes, he got his goal and that was a big factor in the game, but it was, it was his all round play that was just fantastic. And I think now maybe proving that that form that he showed before his suspension wasn't a fluke. I think really we are seeing maybe 85, 90% of the Raul Jimenez that absolutely tore the Premier League apart several years ago. Yeah, I, I I think so. Um, it, confidence, isn't it? You know, I mean, before joining Fulham, he was enduring that goal drought, um, went the whole of last season without scoring. It, that that's a big factor in 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 the way he's playing. And I, you know, even at the start of the season, I think we were all acknowledging his all round play, the way he links links the. Fulham's game up in the final third, the way he combined both on the left-hand side and on the right, um, dropping into midfield, doing things that we were praising Mitrovic for doing under Silva that he'd not done before. Whereas for Jimenez, it's kind of, that's one of his biggest strengths. Um, and it was just goals and confidence in being in the right place and and just something going in off his ass. And then it turns out it was at Villa um, where you, Anthony Robinson sets it up on a plate and there we go. He's he's off. So I thought he was excellent as well. I thought he was fantastic. I mean, there were so many good performance performers against against Arsenal. I I don't I don't think Jimenez was the only factor in in, in the turnaround. I, I I just generally felt there was a bit more aggression in the team. Um, I know it seems a bit a bit. I guess, I guess it's 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 reduced, isn't it? The value of you know second balls and and you know, getting in their face that kind of thing. But that generally felt like a a big change. Um, and and actually Jimenez is is actually a, a key part of that because he's a, he, the way he presses is so aggressive. Um, he's clearly the trigger. It feels much more natural. It feels like that has been worked on, and it feels like his teammates 
have a better understanding with him than they do necessarily with Rodrigo Muniz, who also works very, very hard, but it doesn't feel as connected and as, as fluid. Um, Carlos Vinicius is a bit more erratic in many different ways and many aspects of his game. Um, but with, with Jimenez, it, it feels off the ball a lot more, a lot tidier. And I, and I felt that that combined with Palina being um, back to his very best in midfield with, with Tom Kearney, really coming into his own, actually, next to Palina, uh, particularly positionally, um, winning the ball back and, and being in the right spaces. Bobby Decker's over Reed coming in off that right side as well, um, tracking the inverted fullback. Like, it was it was a very complete performance. Um, and, and I think Jimenez is, is the top of that. And, and it's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, we can see his value very clearly. And I think the, the fact he's scoring is, under, is underlining all these other aspects of his game that he has probably been doing for most of the season. Do you think as well, Peter, this is one thing that I was thinking after the Arsenal match. There was a nice gap between um, the Bournemouth game and the Arsenal game. We had about five days to prepare, whereas the Bournemouth game came around very quickly after the Burnley game, which came around very quickly after the Everton game. And, and the amount of detail that goes into football matches and every football team's wildly different. And Silva's always been a manager to, to, you know, to be meticulous in his planning and trying to stop the opposition as much as trying to prepare for his own team. It must make life quite hard for the Fulham team when there's tight turnarounds. Now, of course, that comes with, you know, down the line, potential consequences. And that's why teams sometimes find it difficult to play in Europe. I just wondered if that's a factor that makes, you know, and affects every team. Every team sometimes has tight turnarounds and I guess you have to learn and adapt to that. But there's just still something about the fact that Arsenal, it felt like we'd really done our homework and did a bit of a job. Whereas Burnley and Bournemouth, I felt like sometimes the Fulham team was a bit directionless at times. And that could just be circumstance, but also just felt like something that maybe was a factor. Maybe. I mean, you said it yourself, it applies to everyone. I think that the issue with the tight turnarounds is the fact that there's less time for detailed analysis. There's less time to pick over the bones of the previous performance and there's less time to put things right in training and there's less time to then apply a new analysis for, for the following game, which is sort of how they work. And as you said, Marcus was very meticulous with his details, you know, with his staff, with, with Antonius Lemonakis, um, his, his, his chief analyst. And it's it's... Yeah, I, maybe there's an aspect of that. I, 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 I wouldn't want to play too much into it. I think, I think actually, one of the more one interesting thing of this sort of festive period, if we, if we include the Everton game as well, has been these the couple of switches we've seen Fulham do to a back three quite late, which feels kind of new. I mean, mm. obviously, Marcus Silva's done that when trying to see out a lead before. That that's not new, but just the way in which it's kind of changed the momentum of these final few of the final 10 minutes of matches. So against Everton, you know, it was a change you probably wanted to do before um, Everton made their own switch to a similar system and, and, and scored through Beto. But it just completely changed the game and ended up with Fulham actually looking the stronger team. And we, we talked about how if they went to extra time, they might have won it. But that was a key part of it was, you know, Diop coming on and that back three and, and, and having wing backs. And then I think we saw it again against Arsenal where, yes, Arsenal had, applied the pressure of particularly late in stoppage time, but created absolutely nothing. Um, and Fulham still held that threat. They still had that transitional threat, getting the best out of the likes of Robinson, who is is, is terrific for as a wing-back, isn't he? Because of this, just plays straight into his his, 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 physic, his physical attributes and um, his ability to, to cover so much, so much ground. Um, so, you know, maybe there's an aspect of something else that's been worked on that's been put in. I'm not saying that that's been worked on over the festive period because there's not much time, but... Um, 
a slight deviation from your question there, I think, Sammy. But um, no, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I think yeah, I, it's, it was always an issue in terms of time, and and there was more more of a build up to Arsenal, and Arsenal had two fewer days, I think, to prepare for for Fulham. So that's also a factor. Drew, any final thoughts from uh, from the Arsenal win before we uh, move on to to the cup preview? I mean, it was just a real special day at the cottage and a perfect way to round out 2023. And now the, the league table's looking just a little bit less uh, stressful than it was maybe post Bournemouth, where I was like, oh no, there's a big vortex below us and we might be getting sucked in here. We're not we're not completely clear, but we're uh, we're, we're still keeping an arm's length, which is good. Yeah, I think when uh, when I covered your BBC Sport column beginning of December, I said that the run up to Christmas looking is looking slightly season defining because I think it was a bit dicey at the time, and I think I think it's kind of proved that uh, to be that. I think this is what our season is going to be like now, right? You know, we're going to be sort of high uh, mid, to higher bottom of the half table. You know, sort of that that eleventh to thirteenth sort of area. Uh, the cup final is a massive bonus, and and we're sort of. We're pulling out some scalps, so I think it's it's good that the run overall, what what we've done since the beginning of December, has been um, has been so much better than that four game break uh, run before the international break, and and yeah, so everything's looking good. We're, but we're still six points off or seven points off where we were after twenty games last season. But then on the other hand, we've got half of we're nearly halfway there to the fifteen wins that was the record number of wins in the Premier League season last season. So. It's just it's a strange season, but I think it's gonna it's gonna sort of end the way that it's looking at the moment. Hopefully, uh, with a, maybe a, a Wembley appearance or maybe even a, a trophy. But uh, yeah, interesting end to the year and uh, a welcome end to the year. All right, well we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll do the double cut preview. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Drew Heatley and Peter Rutzler. Let's do then the double cup preview. We've got Rotherham on Friday, then the following Wednesday, we've got Liverpool in the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg. But we'll uh, we'll, we'll keep this in chronological order, probably not importance order, um, and look at Rotherham first on uh, on Friday night. It's a, a 7.30 kickoff at Craven Cottage. I think um, a lot of London teams Teams got drawn at home, so I believe the timing of this is due to police, but I'm not 100% sure on that. It's not on the telly in the UK anyway, um, and uh, a bit of a shame, you've got to admit, for those uh, Rotherham fans who no doubt would have been uh, looking forward to a, a trip to Craven Cottage, and I imagine quite a, a lot fewer uh, can make it down on a Friday night. Um, Drew, I mean, this is quite a nice cup draw, in honesty. It's not a... <sighs> a non-league or a league two team for whom this is their absolute cup final. They'll never get here again, but also it's not too high a team like a premier league team who, who will be, it would be a, a, a serious threat. Of course, cup shocks happen. The magic of the cup, I'm not saying that um, we're definitely through or anything like that, but they are rock bottom of the championship. They've had a poor season. Um, if I could have picked a cup draw, it would probably be something like this. I looked at your face and your face made a wince as I said that. Um, anyway, stop me talking and, uh, and save me from saying something else stupid here. <laughs> uh, I, I think, uh, I think 
you know, in the era of superstition, I think we have, uh, we should be brave enough to say that this is a cup draw that we would have liked on paper, right? That's, that's fair enough. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. The only one that would have been comparable would have been uh, QPR or also down the bottom of the league. But then that that adds an element of local rivalry to it. Uh, Like at least with this, it's just like this, this is a nice bland cup draw. I quite like it. Yeah, yeah, I was just giving a little bit of the elbow there to uh, any QPR fans listening, which will be zero. Um, but yes, <laughs> I think uh, it's it's top. It's a top top draw for us. Um, you know, I was a bit annoyed that it wasn't on the Saturday myself because uh, I was going to take my boy, but now I'm going to take myself for a Friday night sesh. So that's always good. You know, you got to look for the positives in these sort of situations. And I would have missed the kickoff if he hadn't said seven thirty. So that's a good uh, public service announcement as well. But. Um, no, I think it's going to be a great chance to see some of the some of the players we don't see a lot uh, come in. But of course, slightly different to uh, to what it would have been before uh, before Christmas, because obviously, uh, you know, you'd expect Balotelli to come in, for example, but he won't be there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we line up. Um, I'm still trying to get my head around still being in two cup competitions after Christmas, but uh, that's a that's another thing altogether. Yeah, it is a bit weird, isn't it? I, I mean, Peter, Rotherham are having a bit of a stinker of the season. They've always been the Championship League One archetype yo-yo team for me. I mean, I think kind of Wigan are in that category as well. I think Donny Rovers were for a while. Um, just always, whenever they were in the Championship with us, they always struggled to stay up, but they always seem to get through the playoffs or get automatics in, uh, in League One. But yeah, it's been a bit of a stinker of the season. However... Over Christmas, a little bit of a resurgence. A 1-0 win at home against Middlesbrough. Actually, a very credible result. Uh, a one-all draw with Sunderland at home. And then a 2-2 draw at Blackburn away. So maybe, maybe not as easy as we thought it was going to be. No, they've had a bit of an uptick since um, since they've changed head coach. Um, three unbeaten in their last couple of games, including a point against Blackburn away, point at home to Sunderland. Um, it's Liam Richardson in charge now, right? Um Yes. He was formerly at Wigan. Um, he's a young coach. He's, he's, he's well regarded. Um, it was Matt Taylor was in charge last season. He kept them up after promotion. And as you say, they they have sort of flitted between the two divisions. Um, you know, it is, it's, um, I think for them, you know, you could say, you know, they, they might be, have an uplift after the sort of pick up in form, but the priority is absolutely the league. So I, it could not be a more run of the mill cup tie on paper which is why Fulham will lose 1-0 yeah <laughs> run of the Miller cup tie ah there we go see there, there you go three word review um, <laughs> <laughs> three word preview oh uh, no I, I, I don't get me wrong Fulham are more than capable of losing this match like we have seen third round horrendous cup exits in the past I will never forget Oldham um, and obviously there have been lots more uh, terrible ones Lee RMI going back all the way um, back back in the day um, and, I, and I guess Peter the, the danger for Fulham will be that there's so much focus on the League Cup and the match coming up on Wednesday, we will be heavily rotated. I feel like everyone that Marco can rotate, he will. And and that's always dangerous, but it'd be a nice opportunity at the same time to see see a few different players. Yeah, I mean, the only concern is if it's, it's sort of done a swap from last year, where obviously the League Cup was essentially binned off um, with the game at Crawley. They were bottom of League Two, weren't they? When, or second yeah. bottom of League Two when, when Fulham went and lost um so yeah I, I yeah you expect changes it'd be nice to see some of the youngsters involved i think um the fact that the squad is is slightly lighter because of the african cup of nations which 
get begins shortly and Fulham have lost Calvin Bassi, Alex Awobi and, and Foda Balladori. Um makes rotation important. Obviously they've come out of the tough festive fixtures. There is a break coming up as well in January, the, the weekend of the 20th of January where Fulham don't play. So it'd be a question of whether Fulham really try and rest those regulars uh, or just hold out for, for, for the break and try and keep the momentum up for the game against Liverpool. Um, but there are players that need some minutes, you know, likes of uh, Sasa Lukic. Um, I think it's rotated quite a fair bit, actually, in forward areas, more you think about it. Um, mm. I think um, you'd, you'd want to see Luke Harris, but of course Luke Harris may go out on loan this month, so does that play any part in the thinking? Breaking news. He has just gone out on loan. Literally, as we're recording, Luke Harris has gone to Exeter. Um, I, uh, I, I kid you not. Um, no, that's very good got... timing. Well, Exeter with the team, he was supposed to join in the summer, but that never happened. Um, I think that was quite a late decision for him to stay. So the fact that he's uh, now gone is is good because that's been, we know that, you know, Fulham, Fulham like to loan to clubs that they trust. Um, obviously, Jay Stansfield went to Exeter. There was a change of manager while he was there. Matt Taylor, actually, funnily enough, who was, who was now the former robber and manager, was in charge when Jay Stansfield joined, but they changed. Um, they saw that Stansfield progressed quite nicely there. Um, and he, the same applies with, with Marshall Goddo. Marcus Silva spoke recently about how uh, Sean Maloney in charge at Wigan now uh, and Sean Maloney has worked with Marcus Silva before and there is an element of trust there as well by, by letting Wigan take Godo. so um, yeah that should be a good move for him so anyway he can't play against Rotherham so um, someone else will have to fill in Oh, yeah, we're running out. We're running out of players. Literally, as the podcast is recorded, we're uh, we've now got a lighter squad. Um, yeah, I, I think that's basically as much as you could say about Rotherham. It will be as much rotation as Fulham can do, um, but ultimately there will only be so much. It'd be nice to see maybe Roddy Mooners get some more minutes, maybe drag a few more goals like he did in the League Cup. Um, but yeah, and you imagine it's going to be the likes of uh, of, of Marek Rodag, Sasa Lukic, um, I guess maybe uh, Atari Francois, probably Luc de Fougerol as well, almost certainly. As he, he played in the League Cup. You could imagine he might come in at centre-back. So we'll wait and see. Let's move on though to the biggie. Liverpool on Wednesday, the first leg at Anfield. And um, Drew, I'm I'm already getting nervous about it. It's a week out. Um, it's it's just an odd dynamic. I mean, Fulham haven't played a, a two-legged game for for donkey's years, probably since the Europa run, if I'm not mistaken. We didn't get to yeah, the perfect. we didn't get to the knockout rounds the second time that we were in the Europa League under Martin Yole. So I think it's probably our first two-legged game since Hamburg, unless anyone can uh, correct me. And oh, I guess look. The key will be in this game, just staying in the game, right? It's You're going to Anfield, they're top of the league. They're pretty free scoring at Anfield, apart from if you're man, uh, playing Manchester United. So this is just get in there, hold on for dear life, isn't it? Or is that a recipe of a disaster against uh, against Liverpool? No, I think that's got to be, I think that's got to be it. I think, you know, these two-legged ties, they've got to, you've got to take a, a, a different approach to the management of the game. And it's something that obviously, as you say, we've not done in, in well over a decade. And it's something that Silva's going to be looking at, uh, you know, trying to get that that game management right. I think 
I think over two games, I, I you know I'm, I'm glad we've got somebody like Liverpool over two legs uh, rather than a, a one-off. And I think actually, you know, you want Anfield at f- uh, first rather than second. You know, if we we could uh, we could have had him at Cottage first and then had you know a real great two-nil victory, and you could still go into Anfield feeling like you know it could all be pissed up the wall. So I think if you can go into that first leg, keep it close, keep it tight, whether you know whether you get uh, you get it you get it level or you're you're only a goal down, you know that's uh, then it's all to play for on the second leg I mean you know all you need to mention is Juventus when it comes to playing big boys over two legs uh, so anything's possible just get it to the cottage with something to play for that is the only the only mission on the on Wednesday I mean Peter in terms of the timings of the semi-finals and and look Liverpool was by far the worst of the three teams that we uh, that we could have drawn um, it wasn't the absolute worst combination as Drew alluded to there Anfield second leg I think we might as well not bothered um, at least Cottage second leg is the uh, is the only saving grace from from the draw but the, you actually look at the timings of the semi-finals for Fulham and for Liverpool and because of this winter break in both legs actually Fulham have the upper advantage in terms of rest time now I know Liverpool are more used to dealing with kind of midweek competitions but they've got an FA Cup game against Arsenal on Sunday but you can't imagine they can they can't rest too many players surely for an FA Cup game against Arsenal I'm sure both teams will make some changes but still there's only so many changes you can make for such a you know top six clash like that and then in the second leg Fulham have a huge amount more time to prepare. They face Bournemouth on the Sunday before we play on the Wednesday at the Cottage. But Fulham will have about 10 days because they play on the second weekend of the winter break. So in both times, there are a few things to cling to here. And obviously, no Mo Salah is the obvious other advantage that, that Fulham have. Yeah, and no Salah is, is absolutely huge. I, I think that's kind of offset by the losses that, that Fulham have for 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 AFCON as well. Um, we've seen how impressive Bassi's been. We've seen how influential Alex Awobi has been as well. One of the first names on the team sheet now, um, no matter where he's playing. So to lose that, to lose him and to lose that ability to rotate in those forward areas is uh, with a player of his quality is, is, is a blow. Um, but I think you're right. I think the biggest thing was just having the second leg at Craven Cottage. I th- Fulham have, you know, we, we know that Anfield c- can be a treacherous place, especially when, you know, Liverpool are up against it. Fulham know that from very recent history with the 4-3 defeat. Um, so, yeah, keep keep it tight, Anfield. And, you know, look if you look at the recent results, it's you actually have to go back a decade before the last time Liverpool thumped Fulham. Um, that was 4-0 in 2013, November 2013. The last few games have all been tight. Obviously, there was the 4-3. Uh, 1-0 last year, at, uh, last season in May at Anfield. 2-2 at home on the opening day, of course. Um, then there was the win under Scott Parker, um, which was also, Fulham also drew earlier in the season as well uh, under Scott Parker. So, you know, Fulham have a good record against Liverpool. They have players in the squad that are used to going to Anfield and being very competitive. So they won't they certainly won't have any fear. The result against Arsenal is so well timed just to add to that sense of belief. It's annoying because it's this is the time of year with the Carabao Cup where the big teams, you know, really take it seriously because it's, you know, it's it's the cup to tee you up for the run in kind of thing, isn't it? Um but that Arsenal game does does throw an interesting curveball. You know, how how will they how will they adapt? So yeah, it's it's it Obviously not the best <laughs> semi-final, but of the options. But you know there are there are 
there are things to look at where you think, okay, there's, there, there are things to take heart from. I, I guess the key decisions, Drew, that Marco is going to have to make is who replaces the two AFCON players in terms of Bassi and Awobi. Now, I know on Monday's podcast, they correctly, I think, said that Awobi is one of those where there are so many attacking options, we probably can just manage with a combination of... Harry Wilson, Decadova, Reed, Pereira, Willian, like we, we should be fine in that department whilst we will miss a Wobi. The Bassey question is, is fascinating and I don't know the answer. Like maybe Tim Ream, but I mean, the fact it doesn't feel like Tim Ream's coming back anytime soon. Like when you look at what Marco is saying in press conferences, he's not been in the squad. Interesting to see what happens against Rotherham, I guess, but like it's going to be a bit, you know, very quick to throw him in for such massive matches if he has had a knock and we know nothing about that knock uh, unless Peter has something else that I don't um, yeah it's a calf injury he, uh, Silva has said it it's he picked up a calf injury it was like when he first did it it was sort of seen as kind of precautionary so I've, it's never been re- at least in my my mind it's never been serious but he has obviously been out for much of the festive period and maybe there's an element of okay there's an issue there you know better for you at your age and your time in your career just to not put yourself through the risk of, of playing those games. So let's see. I mean, it may have, may have got worse since I last had that, but um, yeah, that, that's what it is. Um, yeah. Silver has said that as well. So then Drew, is it, is it Diop and Tossin? Is it Diop on the left and, and Tossin on the right? I mean, Diop generally has played right-sided for us, but he is left-footed. Um, we've not seen him on the left too much. Yeah, I, I actually think it will be. I think uh, Rotherham will be really interesting. I think if Ream's back in the squad where he's on the bench or put in the starting lineup for Rotherham, I do think that he that means he's going to come in for the for the January while Bassi's out. I think it will, uh, again, no, in, no inside, but I think if Ream is available, I think Silver will go for Ream uh, just because of that understanding between uh, Ream and uh, Tossin from, uh, from the championship winning season. Um, again, as you say, you know, we know Diop can play on that side, but I just think um, it's better than ever you know in a situation where there's so many really important games coming up. Uh, do you just go for that sort of, you know, I don't want to call it telepathic understanding, but they've certainly got an understanding of, of each other and the way they play. So I don't know if 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 Ream makes any appearance against uh, Rotherham, I think he's in for that run. I just have a feeling that, that Silver would plump for him. But um, as you say, Iwobi, you know, it's a straight swap from... Well, if you look at the Arsenal game, you just put Pereira back in or, you know, anybody. We've got so many, uh, so much talent in that sort of final third. I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just going to be Ream. I think he might return uh, as a surprise return. I guess it depends just what, to what extent Ream is, is ready to play. But I, if he is available, I think, yeah, then then you'd probably go back to, to see Ream slot in. I think it, we've, we've talked about, you know, the balance and, you know, <laughs> how good it is to have a left side defender and a right side of centre half and it, it works quite nicely. Um, but yeah, I, 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 obviously Bassi's done extremely well. Um, and, you know, I think I remember when Ream did drop out initially, I think there was a sense actually, you know, maybe it was, it felt like it could have been a time for him to drop out and Bassi to, to take his place for a little bit. Um, but I don't think we should underestimate Ream's value, particularly in build up for, for Fulham and, and, and the way they progress the ball and, and uh, his understanding with Anthony Robinson on that side as well. So um, yeah, it, it is interesting. It is interesting and it's interesting obviously previewing the both those these cup games together because they do sort of tee up each other in a, in a way. Um, it, uh, is one a springboard for the rest? Is it, is it a full rotation? You imagine that there's an element of being a tee up and, and trying to keep some momentum. So um, 
yeah, I mean, I mean, Toast and Diop as a partnership has been has been really reliable as well. So I, I'm not overly concerned, um, but obviously it would be helpful, I think, for Fulham if Ream is available. Yeah, and and then you'd imagine from there, Peter, it's that it's going to be the, the, the first team is kind of picking itself. Other than there's always just a, a, a bit of chopping and changing sometimes on the right. It's where we are a little bit unsure, but it feels like the Polinia Kearney pivot seems fairly bedded in for now. I think if there was going, I thought that this. Arsenal game might be the moment where there is a change and Reed might come back in but I feel like now like he's he's set his stall out really Marco unless something dramatic happens for these these semi-finals I think he knows now that's his first choice midfield pairing yeah yeah I mean Tom Kenny's done fantastically well hasn't he this past month um I know you could talk about the Burnley and Bournemouth games but um he's been a key reason to why Fulham has started scoring goals again. You know, just it's just changed the dynamic in that midfield area and he's kind of a nailed on starter now really, which is, which is, you know, fantastic for him. You know, we talked about how great he's been as a super sub. So now to, to, to resume that role in, in the team is at this key point is, is, is fantastic. Um, it is interesting. Like even, you know, even Pereira dropping out for a Wobi, and I, I, was, I was like you, I thought we might get Reed. I thought we might get, maybe well, Lukic hasn't really seen seen much play recently, but you, you thought you'd have that kind of profile of player. Um, it feels like that almost right centre mid spot has been a kind of a little issue in that like, Silva tried to move away from Reed, and we've seen Pereira and Awobi and Pereira and Kearney. But Pereira was always on the left last season. He was always on the left side of midfield and that's where Tom Kearney's at his best. So, the compromise is now actually Tom Kearney's been really good. So we're, we're using him on the left side of that midfield. Um, we'll try and put Pereira on the right. And he hasn't been as effective, I don't think. I, I don't think he's been terrible, but he hasn't been as effective. Um, Iwobi comes in, does really well, combined with Bobby on that side. Um, and now, <laughs> now Iwobi leaves. So that is a real question mark, I think. That is a real question mark. Do you bring Pereira back in in that position? Or do you have Pereira coming in for, for Kearney back on that left side, combining with William and, and Robinson? So... Um, yeah, really intriguing, really intriguing. I'm sure Harrison Reed will play across one or two of these games. Um, that'd be interesting to see to see how it sort of sets up. And, and Tom Kearney, his time at Fulham has just been characterised by moments. And if you want to have one of those big moments, he's got to be on the pitch to have it. And I, and I think if you want to have those moments, he's going to be there and he's going to be orchestrating it. And what a, what a world we're living in that... He's finally getting a, a run in the, in the starting eleven off his own merit, and he's signed a new deal, and he's going to be there for ten years. I I tweeted the, the other day, um, February twenty twenty five will mark thirty years since my first Fulham game, and Tom Kearney will have been there for a, th- a full third of that time, which is just incredible to me. Um, I love him dearly, and uh, and uh, I hope he uh, I hope he has another seminal moment in in the semi. Well, look, uh, and congratulations to Tom on his new contract. Uh, he's extended at Fulham. He'll now be here until 2025. So uh, we... Uh we can get started with the planning for the uh, for the Tim and Tom testimonial uh, in the summer of 2025. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this podcast cannot wait for that. Uh, right, we'll take another break. Afterwards, we'll just do a few emails to round off the pod. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy with Peter and Drew. Let's do some emails before we finish. Um, 
First one here from David Nicholson. He said, enjoyed your latest show, which was actually post Bournemouth, but not our recent form. Curious about the following. Uh, towards the end of the Carabao Cup quarterfinal, we played three at the back and looked solid. Was that just an as-needed formation to suit those very particular circumstances, or is there merit in trying it as a plan B? Marco Silva is often criticised for not having one, and I remember comments about Bassi being more suited to playing on the left of a three when he signed. Uh, and second question, what has, uh, on earth has happened to Lukic? He has gone from only now getting used to the league and a good signing to per persona non grata, who doesn't seem to have a role. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, look, we, we did address um, the back three a little bit earlier, Peter, and I think actually the question has been answered for David that this is probably something that Marco might use um, a little bit more for, for seeing out games. I, both times that we've done it, it has worked spectacularly well. So I'm kind of all for it. And we seem to have the personnel to do it as well when you bring Diop back in in between um, uh, Calvin Bassey and Tossin. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'd like to uh, something to bring up with Silver, I think, to, to try and find out a little bit more about where it ranks. I don't think we'll ever see Silver really push away from his 4 3 3. That's just, that's his staple. That's what he's sort of always done. He, I mean, when he when he first was appointed, we hypothesised a little bit um, about whether he might do a three, and you know, in the Premier League, with which we saw at Watford and at Hull at times. So it's not like completely new. Um, but yeah, I, I'll try and find out more information. I think just to round up, but it's definitely making more appearances and is yeah. being effective. Would you say? And Peter Sasalukic, I mean, again, this was kind of a mensch, uh, big question in the in the month in the Monday podcast. Um, I guess uh, once again, a bit more evidence maybe after the Rotherham game. See how he gets on. He does seem to have fallen down the pecking order, but I do feel like I don't see the point in letting him go unless he's desperate to go. He's he's a good solid option. Um, you know, he's got a couple of people ahead of him in the team. But I don't necessarily think it's anything that Lukic has done wrong. It's just people ahead of him is my indication of Lukic. Yeah. Um, Silver was actually, I asked Silver about this recently um, and he kind of was like, well, it's, it's, it's my fault. I'm not selecting him. Um, but also praised him quite a lot and pointed out to the start of the season that he started those opening games and that he was very good in preseason and he's, he picked up, he had a calf injury. I think it was calf. He had definitely had an injury just, I think it was Arsenal, the Arsenal way game where he came off. Um and then there's just not really got back into the team since. Um, like he's clearly a good player um, and he'll clearly want more game time as well. I mean, he was the captain of Torino when he signed. Um, it's a slightly different profile to anyone else, I think, in the team. I think he's probably similar, most similar to Tom Kearney um, in terms of what he likes to do, which is get on the ball, dictate the tempo of a game. Not really a 10 uh, like Kearney can be and has been. Um, he can be that shuttler, that 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 link player in midfield, and I think with the Wobi, you know, going to to Afcon um, this month, I, I, you know, and I've seen the talk about there being a, a loan away. I don't think that's something Fulham would want to do at all. Um, you know, Silver said he's he's happy with his midfield as it is, um, but I mean, he he'll want to play though, so that's that's something. So I'll be interested to see if he plays against Rotherham how he does and whether he can actually get his minutes back because Harrison Reed's in a similar boat. He's not really been involved as much um, and there's some serious competition in those those areas so um, yeah it makes it interesting with all the with the Andre talk as well um, it really feels like you know midfield is not something Fulham will touch unless they they have to re replace somebody um, and uh, yeah so we'll, we'll see how see how it goes 
Well, speaking of that person we might have to replace, uh, Jeffrey Allen asks, if Polina is still very likely to leave in the summer, is there a financial advantage to selling him in January? Could we get many millions more by selling early? Or is it the case that prices for top level players don't fluctuate so much because everyone knows their value and they're usually not bought by desperate teams as short term solutions? I mean, my feeling here, Drew, would be I don't care what extra value you get out of selling Polina in, in January. I don't care if you get an extra eight, 10 million. I want him for the second half of this season. It's not worth it's not worth whatever marginal gain there might or might not be. Yeah, you sell him in January. May as well end the season now. Like I think it was, I can't remember who said it on the Monday show, but you know, we're we're not a one man team, but we're pretty close when it comes to to Drow. So no, absolutely not. And we've already proven like if we can't get a replacement in uh, that we deem to be you know adequate, then we're not going to sell him anyway. So. You know, we couldn't get that in the summer. What makes anyone think we're going to get it in January in, in that truncated, valueless window? Um, I think, uh, no, heads down, keep him uh, and uh, finish the season uh, the way that we that we should. Uh, and finally, Peter, just uh, a question from Sammy James. Um, how much expectation uh, should we have uh, ahead of this, uh, the transfer window? Obviously, we're three days into the window. Uh, most business won't be done until uh, the, the very end. I don't know. Are we feeling like this is a, uh, a no transfers window or is it a, a loan at the end transfer window? It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and, and I assume probably not that much out there right now, but uh, yeah, I was just interested to know whether the, whether the water was feeling cold or hot right now. Far too early, Sammy, far too early for, to be talking transfers with Fulham. It asked me on January the 30th. Um, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because I, th- I, th- I, th- you know, and I've written I've written about this on on the Athletic, and um, a lot of it has felt like getting in a position to deal with if the Polina situation happens again. I think there was an expectation that Bayern might come back. Doesn't look as likely that they'll come back. That doesn't mean they won't because they still want a holding midfielder. So you just don't know. Depends who's desperate and who who wants to put money on the table and and. What Jao Polina wants to do as well, and uh, the other factor, of course, is you, if you keep blocking someone leaving it. If you want to present yourself as someone as a club where you can progress, you don't want to be seen as someone who, as a club that doesn't let others progress. Um, but yeah, in terms of your actual question, I uh, it's Silver played it down quite a bit more than I thought he'd play it down um, just before the the window opened. It's obvious that Fulham are looking for a striker. Um, They've looked at quite a few strikers, actually. Uh, they're not the only ones doing so. And that's kind of been the feedback, you know, there's, within the Premier League itself. Um, you know, obviously, there's Chelsea down the road. There's um, West Ham. There's, I think, Wolves. You're probably looking for one as well. Um, clubs which aren't too far away from the bracket that Fulham will be looking. And it's a kind of, with that one, it's the transfer you can't really get wrong. I mean, if you're going to put a lot of money on the table, and we talk about FFP sometimes, but... With Mitrovic, they didn't get it wrong. They got it right. And it was a big investment. It's kind of, it's kind of got to be similar. So it's, I can understand there being like a slight hesitation. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I don't, I'm not saying, I don't feel like there's absolute guarantee that there'll be definitely someone in. I don't, I don't have that sense. But are Fulham active? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But it's January, so you just—it's hard to know how it, how it plays out. I think if if Fulham emerge from the January window with the same squad, don't think that see it as the end of the world. Um, I think Raúl Jiménez's upturn has helped, definitely. We we can all see that. Um, 
But yeah, as I say, you'll have to ask me later in the window how it actually actually goes because it's yeah, the general vibe I think is is not as there's definitely going to be someone. Uh, there's definitely this needs to happen. Um, they're definitely active, but that that doesn't necessarily mean they'll definitely get someone. I mean, there's always someone, isn't there, Drew? We can't resist, can we? We can never, even if even there's no need to sign someone, uh, we can't resist just just bringing in someone on January the thirty first, just to give them the old, uh, give them the pun on social media, give them the shirt at Motspur Park. We we just we just love it too much. We just enjoy it. I, I, it'll be some random loanee from the Swedish second division. I, it, we have to get someone. I fully expect it. Yeah. Uh, uh some random fullback from another Premier League side to use that coveted domestic loan spot that everyone's got their breath <laughs> holding their breath for it'll be another Cedric or somebody of that ilk just coming in never you know playing maybe 10 minutes throughout the to the end of the season and that's it uh, yeah I, I don't know um, I think uh, I, when listening to Peter then I, I just thought like I would not be surprised at all if we ended the window with just the squad that we have and, and I think everybody would quietly be happy with that uh, certainly on the club side, I think obviously there'll be the traditional uproar uh, on social, um, which is fine because, you know, uh, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I just have a sneaking suspicion that it won't be uh, a blockbuster window by any means, maybe one or two. Uh, and, and, and that'll be that'll be it. And I don't think there'll be key players either. Um, I think everyone hopefully is laying some proper groundwork for uh, for summer spree because, you know, we're going to need that uh, putting your replacement. We're going to need that striker in the summer. So I'd rather... I'd rather get it right in the summer than rush in January. I think I think just going back to like my initial answer before I started waffling on, I think like definitely it feels like it's a replacement window. Obviously, there's still a Mitrovic replacement required for the long term, definitely, because Jimenez is, is 33, I think, now. So um, there's that. And, you know, there's been the talk about Vinicius. There's been some talk about Muniz as well. Does that change the pitch and does that then open up that domestic spot, as you say, or, the, or bring in another another loan like that? So that that's where I think you, you you might see some interest, but you don't. It's so unusual to see clubs spend big money in January and for it to to go right. Um, I mean, Mitrovic was a loan, wasn't he? And then he was signed permanently. Um, so I think that kind of that probably will frame the thinking because, as, as Drew says. You, the summer is the, the better window to do it than than uh, Panic Avenue in January. Who will be 2024's Havard Northwright? Someone's out there ready to be the man, but we just Josh have Madger. to wait. Yeah, we just, oh my God. <laughs> There's so many down the years. Yari Littman and Vincenzo Montella is the only one we ever got right, uh, in uh, in my opinion. Uh, right, that'll do for the uh, the podcast today. Thank you uh, ever so much for listening. Uh, a big few weeks ahead for Fulham. We've not even mentioned that there's an SW6 derby at uh, Stamford Bridge to come as well. Oh, there's some big games around the corner. Drew Heatley, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And Peter Rutzer, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Drew. It's been fun. We'll be back over the weekend uh, reviewing everything that happens at the Rotherham match. It might give us some more clues into what exactly is going to happen at the Liverpool game. And the Thursday Club will return next Thursday. We'll be live from Liverpool. Whatever happens at Anfield, we'll be reacting to it. So have a wonderful weekend. If you're heading to Rotherham, uh, enjoy. Uh, But until then, come on your whites. 